0: Cats at Night. Now, here's
1: John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And you hear things here today that you you don't hear on other channels. And uh, that's why we're number one in the uh, studio with us. we got, uh got uh, Common Sense Democrats, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, And I wish you were still governor, good David Patterson. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Common Sense Republican Ed Cox, and on my side, we
2: have Lydia Serrano. How are you, Lydia? Good sir, but not as good as you. You look quite dapper this evening. This beautiful tuxedo. Where are you heading tonight? Well, tonight? it's like a
3: white tie,
2: not white tuxedo. T- oh, well, oh well, white tie. T- oh, I see. I don't even know the difference. I'm Ooh, not, but well, uh, no, on. no
1: tales is here. The Al Smith dinner, and that should be an interesting dinner. It's always a fun dinner, and the the cardinal is always very joyful. And uh, you know, what I mean. He's he's one good uh, guy, and Margot looks stunning as well. So I hope you have an amazing evening. I understand that Governor Patterson was at the scene of the crime today. Mm. Well, Governor, tell us what happened. There are a lot of writers and artists and
4: entrepreneurs who buy time on the jumbotron at Times Square, and uh, I'm promoting a new book and uh, the legendary uh, Broadway the 13-time Tony uh, Award-winning producer Carl mallenberg was, and then, you know, Ed Moldaver, the investment banker. There were about five or six of us, and we were waiting in the Brooklyn Diner for the right time to go out and take pictures in front of the Jumbotron. And one of the uh, group,
1: Brooklyn Diner on 43rd, 43rd Street, right, right off Broad, 7th Avenue. Right
4: off 7th Avenue. And one of the uh, people, the a producer, a woman, was walking down the street next to another woman. A man ran up and looked at the woman and then went and did a karate kick on the other woman and left her on the ground in in uh, hurt and then ran away, ran rasp- right past security guards who almost acted like it didn't happen, according to the witness who saw it. And she came in the diner, and you could really tell that she was shocked, and the uh, a number of uh, our group went out to see if they could help the woman who was hurt. And the woman wasn't seriously hurt. But I was thinking this probably happens more than you think, and it's not the kind of incident because you didn't die or go to the hospital. Well, that's I wonder going to get how that guy that hit
1: her. I wonder how many times a day he hits people.
4: Well, they said he was headed toward 40th Street, and you know, probably some of the incident may have occurred
1: a- along the way. But it, it just kind of shows. That's why people I with tell these- people you got to carry a Rocky Calabrito bet.
2: <laughs> yes. And what time was this around? This is in the middle of the day. This just a random w- attack,
4: Lydia. This happened around quarter to ten. And I understand that your mother in law saw me taking pictures out there. Uh, right. My mother.
2: A- my mother in law called me. She said she saw you out there at Forty Second Street. She's like, "What is the governor doing taking the subway?" I said, "He always takes the subway. He's a true, you know, tried and through New Yorker, right?"
4: That, that that that's true. But the sad thing is. Institutions should be housing people like this perpetrator, and uh, mental institutions, you'd assume, and that's something that somebody has got to do something about. We deinstitutionalized in the 80s. I think an overreaction to one flu over the cuckoo's nest in the movie with Fred McMurray, the Shrike, where the the mental uh, uh, homes really abused the the uh, patients. But uh, there's got
1: to be a place to house people like that. It's out of control, David. It's out of control. Somebody has to yell at Albany and say, you know, you got to put some of these people away because it's civilized people are not going to be able to walk around.
2: Well, this person sounds like he had major mental issues. And like you said, we do need more mental institutions. But let's pivot. We got our next guest on the line. Andy McCarthy is a columnist for the National Review. He also served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Andy McCarthy.
5: Andy, it's uh... so much for having me. And it's Richard Weinberg. I want to talk to you about the uh, the latest verdict, the second verdict they've had with uh, the Durham prosecutions. And you've written articles about this, and I think it's very, very important. People keep saying that Durham is losing, and I say, as you said in your articles, you have to look at the biggest story. The biggest story is the report. Would you explain that to our listeners?
6: Yeah, Judge, I think his case has, or his investigation, I think the, the – um, the big ticket item has always been the report that he would do at the end. I think that is the reason why then Attorney General Barr, in one of the last things he did before leaving the Trump administration, was formally naming uh, Durham as a special counsel. Because unlike the normal prosecutor, like when I was an assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan, uh, when we close the case, we just moved on to the next case. You know, we don't get to write a public report about what happened. But because uh, special counsels usually look into uh, at least allegations of government corruption, uh, and because they're quasi-independent of the uh, normal chain of command of the Justice Department, they get to write a report at the end. And as we saw with the Mueller investigation, those reports uh, generally get uh, released in large part To the public, and I've always thought that, uh, having looked at this very closely over the years, a lot of things that are in the nature of abuse of government power are not violations of the criminal law. So, if you're going to get accountability for, uh, you know, potential government misconduct in in uh, in the investigation of a case here, the Trump Russia investigation, you're really going to need a narrative report. And that was really the most important thing. Now, I think it was a calculated risk for Durham to bring these cases against really minor players on, you know, some of these charges that he brought. You have to kind of scratch your head because they weren't very strong cases. And he brought them in places where the jury pool was clearly not going to be good for him. And he had to know that the acquittals were going to cause his critics to say that whatever he says in his final report should be dismissed because his cases all were rejected by juries. So so, I do still think it's the most important thing. I
5: agree with you. And what and what came out from the evidence uh, produced at the trial that's so important is the relationship of some of the FBI officials in terms of how they conduct themselves, what they knew, what they suppressed, what their agenda was. Is that correct?
6: Yeah, I I think so. I think, you know, the most important I I would say two things that uh, that came out. Um, One was the FBI offered Christopher Steele, who was the former British spy who wrote the infamous Steele dossier, these um, sort of innuendo and rumor allegations against Trump. They offered him a million dollars if he could verify his claims, and he couldn't. But the importance of that is, uh, you know, I know it's shocking to people on its face that that it happened, but the real importance, I think, is... Under federal law, they're not allowed to bring information to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court unless it's been verified first. So if you're offering someone a million dollars to corroborate their information, that means it's not verified. And yet they went to the court four times and swore to it. And then the second thing is before the third one, they finally got around to interviewing Danchenko, who was the main source for The Steele dossier, he told them the Steele dossier was a bunch of nonsense. And they not only didn't go back to the court and correct the record, they went back two more times to get surveillance warrants relying on the same information. And they, in fact, told the court that they had spoken to Steele's source and found him to be cooperative and truthful. But what they left out was that what he was cooperative and truthful about was that Steele's information was bogus. So I think that's pretty outrageous.
5: And then, of course, that then led to the Mueller investigation. Isn't that correct?
6: The uh, you mean the I think what led what led to the Mueller investigation more than anything else, I think, was the firing of Comey. That was when the um, that was when the big push was made to bring uh, a special counsel in. And that was decided by Rod Rosenstein, who was the deputy attorney general at the time.
3: But Ed Cox here, but Andrew, isn't the two trials that uh, that the special counsel has done, doesn't it bring out, under sworn testimony, make it public, all the information they put in his report, and then the report itself is more credible as a result?
6: Yeah, I, I think that's right, Ed, and I think the challenge for, um, you know, people who want to convey to the public what the report will honestly say or, uh, you know, to try to give them a, a, an accurate interpretation of it is that it's true that these two people, uh, Danchenko, Igor Danchenko and Michael Sussman, the the DNC lawyer, it's true that they were acquitted, but the information that came out about the FBI in these investigations was not refuted. It came out from FBI agents own testimony, And a large part of the explanation I think for why these guys were acquitted was that whatever wrong they did, it paled in comparison to the misconduct of the FBI. And if you're a juror sitting there listening to all this, you got to be scratching your head and saying, why are they indicting these guys when the FBI lied to the court?
3: Or, or the suspect case, well, why the FBI knew he was lying? Why did they let him lie? <laughs> quote right. quote.
6: And then cover it up, and then cover it up from their own exactly. investigators. Yeah. They didn't want to tell their own investigators who supplied the information.
5: Yeah. And there's another issue I want to raise with you, Andy, and that's, uh, the allegations from uh, Senator Grassley about the Chinese oh. government ma- allegedly making uh, payments to uh, the Biden uh, family interests and uh, perhaps the vice president. Of the United States As at vice the time. president, Wow, that's huge. And after after, you know, the payment was made after he left the vice presidency for conduct allegedly did was vice president. What do you know about that, Andy?
6: Yeah, well, so I want to make sure that we're we're being fair to you. Uh, President Biden, just like we tried to be fair to, to President Trump. So what what Senator Grassley has alleged is very explosive, if he can prove it. Um, what we all thought who followed this closely up until now, that is that the Biden family uh, began this transaction with this arm of the Chinese Communist Party and the, and the government of President Xi, this outfit called C.E.F.C., We all thought that that transaction began in February 2017 when Biden was already out of office. Senator Grassley now says he's gotten whistleblower information from disgruntled FBI agents who say the bureau is sitting on evidence that part of the six million dollars that CEFC paid the Biden family in 2017 was for services rendered while Biden was vice president that were helpful to Oh my god.
5: EMC. That's a now, big deal, isn't it, Andy? If that's yeah, true, if he right. can prove so, it. Right. So
6: if that turns out to be true, but what I've tried to do in in, in reporting on this is, is simply say this is what Senator Grassley says. What Senator Grassley didn't include in his letter was what the hard information is for that proposition. So he's told us that he's gotten this from FBI whistleblowers, but he hasn't described what it was that Biden allegedly did for CEFC that would make them want to uh, pay him uh, retrospectively. So I think until we get that evidence, uh, you know, I think what I would say about this is it's very intriguing. It absolutely deserves to be investigated, but I'm not going to get out ahead of it and say that, you know, we know for sure that Biden did something improper in this
3: instance is this related uh, to the deal that uh hunter biden signed up two weeks after he made the trip on air force two to china with the vice president and introduced some people to the vice president the process over there
6: yeah uh, uh, you know here's the worst thing that deal is probably worse than the cefc deal the yeah. CEFC deal is the one that's gotten the uh, most of the attention up until now. And I think that's because it's documented and there's a witness. You know, it's in connection with the CESC that we hear this thing about 10 percent for the big guy. And this guy, Tony Bobolinski, went public. He was the one the Bidens brought in to build the corporate structure of it. But the transaction you're talking about, uh, which was with a different uh, component of, of people who were associated with the Chinese government, was this cabal associated with China, they put together $3 billion for purposes of investment that they partnered up with the, the Bidens on, $3 billion with a B, and it's like the Bank of China and some other Chinese components. And this outfit did transactions that were very much against the interests of the United States. They gave them – they were able to acquire dual-use technology which helps them fill gaps where their technology is insufficient on military stuff. And they also were able to, to obtain a coveted cobalt mine in Africa. And people should understand, it, it's like a, a $2 billion or $3 billion transaction on its own. People should understand cobalt is essential in the manufacture of electric car batteries, you know, so these electric cars that uh, President Biden wants us all in. Um, they help the chinese acquire this this uh, immense cobalt field that, you know we probably like to have for ourselves so
1: so this whole thing about uh forcing general motors to make electric cars by 2035 the whole thing in california of of requiring electric cars by 2035 100% it's all about the chinese and about their batteries mm. uh,
6: how else can you which, to say it john i john i, I True, and I wish right. we could say that it was only batteries. Because while we're sitting here, China's buying up all kinds of ores and precious metals that are needed for. And all we gave them all the lithium
1: system. in Afghanistan. Yep, yep. I mean, this is you know, if somebody in the Justice Department doesn't get up and say enough is enough, somebody has to say it. And I, I, you you know, know, even Christopher Ray has to get up and say enough is enough. And uh, if I was Christopher Ray, I'd get up and say, enough is enough. And I'll, I resign. If you want to, you want to fire me, fire me. But the truth
5: is the truth. Mm-hmm. Speaking about the truth, Andy, what's going on with the Delaware grand jury being led by uh, the uh, U.S. attorney Weiss? What's taking so long in that investigation? Was it four years out on, on Hunter Biden's activities?
6: Yeah. You know, some of these things that this is not. um People should understand we're not talking about like a sophisticated insider trading or some, you know, abstruse crime. These are pretty straightforward criminal offenses that we're talking about here. One of them involves making a false statement on uh, uh, application for a, gun a firearm. Target. That's, right.
1: That's
5: you know, minor like crimes.
1: Well, those- we're selling. Who cares about the damn gun in Delaware? We're
5: selling the whole country down the, you know. Down the sewer. But isn't that within the scope of the grand jury investigation? You're worried about that. I'm worried about
6: the whole country. Look, I I have written that, like, we should be calling this the Biden family investigation, not the Hunter investigation. And I think the Hunter stuff is a sideshow. I don't really think it's about Hunter's axe matter or the gun that he got. Um, But I do think those are crimes. And what the judge was asking me is quite right. If it was the normal person, we'd have been prosecuted for that by now.
2: Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Andy McCarthy. Thank you as always for your insight and come back anytime.
6: Thanks so much. Thanks, Andy.
2: Now on the line for us, Ryan Payne. And yeah, like John, you always say there is pain in this economy. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. He also has a show right here with uh, Steve Moore on WABC Radio. What time and what day?
7: Every Saturday at one o'clock. Be there, be square.
2: And you're with Payne Capital Management. That's Payne with a Y. Welcome back to Cats at Night. So what the heck is going on with the markets?
7: Well, I think the Fed just can't seem to uh, keep its uh, foot off the pedal here. Um, Fed officials come out today and and pretty much keep talking that they're going to keep raising interest rates aggressively. And we know the housing market has slowed dramatically. Um, we know mortgage rates now are almost 7% and the 10-year Treasury today went up to 4.2%. That's the highest rate since 2008. So we haven't seen interest rates this high in over a decade. And what's crazy about that is um, you know, how quickly they've raised interest rates. And I think you know the economy is going to a little bit of a shock over it.
1: I mean, this all comes back down to, I mean, we just had Andrew uh, Andrew McCarthy on, Mm -hmm. and it comes down to all the possible bribes that were paid by China Mm -hmm. for the the electric cars. And now we're talking about forcing the electric cars, uh, uh, killing fossil fuels, and because we're killing fossil fuels and we're not producing enough,
5: they're raising a- interest
1: rates, is killing the rest of the markets.
5: And we're not, we're on a
2: cusp of an energy crisis, John. You can't make yeah. it up. What industry is next to be ruined?
7: <laughs> What's crazy about it is, I mean, you know, they're t- talking about releasing like 18 million million barrels from the strategic reserve. I mean, that's like going to a gunfight with a with a water gun. <laughs> you know, I mean, why so, don't they give subsidies to the oil companies here to produce more? Um, we're still producing less than before the pandemic. You know, why not put the money Because there? they
1: don't want to produce oil. They want to kill the oil business mm-hmm. so that China can sell more batteries for electric cars. Yep.
7: Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, if you look at oil prices, John, I mean, they really haven't
1: budged from the 80s. We need a change in Washington. We need a balance of power. Guys, we need a balance of power. I I have no... You know, nothing against anybody. I I, I just I, I I pull my hair out, and I'm, I don't have that much hair left.
5: <laughs> let, let the record reflect.
1: <laughs> well, you have
7: left looks good though, John. So so
3: so Ryan, uh, Jamie Dimon, and now Bezos are talking about the bottom falling out of the markets, and a whole bunch of other CEOs. How much does their opinion
7: count? Uh, I'm a little skeptical. I mean, if you look at Bezos specifically, look, Amazon's in a different situation, right? They benefited the most from the pandemic when we were locked inside. All we did is order packages all day. We're all guilty of it. Um, their business is slowing drastically because people are out now. They're not. They're not literally sitting inside, um, ordering things. And I think that's why they're seeing a slowdown in their business. Jamie Dimon, he's a banker. They're always conservative. And I think that the sad part is, I don't think the economy is in that bad a shape. And I think the Fed could actually derail a decent economy. And if you look at unemployment, it's still extremely low. If you look, listen to employers right now, they don't want to get rid of workers because they're afraid to, because there's not enough workers in the economy. The wages are going to stay strong. And we already know, again, you know, the the rest of the market, the housing markets weakened. Um, you know, you're starting to see the financials and A activity is down this year. So, you know, I, I think it's already happening. You know, we already slowed the economy. Why continue to talk hawkish so, and so, to raise interest
1: rates—it's re- insane. They're killing. they a the recession. The American economy is strong. They're forcing a recession yeah. to happen. They are forcing a recession to happen. Jay Powell, wherever you are, you know, <laughs> you, you 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 know, you you're not doing the right thing for our country. You, know, you too I, have to stand up and, and tell the truth. But you know, John, he's just following the law. <clears throat> the law says
3: that he has to balance, this is Hawkins Humphrey, and Ryan, You tell me if I'm wrong, says you have to balance unemployment with inflation, right? So you have very low unemployment, you have very high inflation. So is it logical he's going to fight inflation and keep pushing the interest rates up until unemployment may go up a bit and inflation comes down? Isn't that where we are?
7: Yeah, it doesn't make sense because, you know, if you look at inflation at 8%, that's much higher than wage growth. So you know, wage growth not the problem. <laughs> you know, so wage growth at about five percent. So that's actually lower than what inflation is right now. So if you told me that wage inflation was like twelve percent, it was higher than that would really be the impacting the inflation number. But that's not the case. <laughs> but you, so, you know, like so it's folk- not the reason why why do you have the wages are just catching up with inflation.
3: You uh, know, uh, Volcker hid behind monetary theory when he pushed up interest rates, right? Way back when in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And now he is hiding behind the law saying, look, the law requires me to beat inflation now.
1: You know, theory schmiery. Mm. It's all a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. I, know, the, the whole thing is, if we had more oil, which we have it. Right. Uh, then we don't have to raise the interest rates and we don't have to kill the economy. I mean, you know no. what I said the other day? I was talking to uh, Senator Johnson, and I said to him, call our friend Senator Sullivan from Alaska and tell him to tell Washington, tell President Biden I got a two-million-barrel-a-day pipeline. I'm only shipping 375,000 uh, barrels from, from Alaska. I could ship you two million, the two million that the Saudis cut off.
7: It, which which is absolutely crazy right I and mean, we have the oil here we have the pipeline we have the infrastructure um and there's no reason the government can't step in and you know offer subsidies i mean i understand oil companies want to make profits but just incentivize them to pump more oil right i mean they can do it right now and they're not doing it and as we know oil basically is a component to everything when it comes to manufacturing i mean pretty much everything feeds into the core inflation is from oil, oil prices so I agree, with Biden, And also, the housing market's already slowed. You know, that's not going to show up in the inflation numbers for months. So you got the Fed looking at numbers that are like probably a couple months uh, stale at this point. And we're not going to mm-hmm. see those numbers come down for quite a while. So, the, the, And we don't know what kind of ramifications the raising interest rates has done already. It takes like six to nine months for that to come into effect. Why not take a pause Ryan Brian, I would
3: project, I, the predict that hiding behind the law... The Fed is going to push uh, interest rates above a core inflation at the very least. Hmm. And that's a lot higher. And that's what they're going to keep doing. Wow.
7: Well, I, I, if they do, we're going to have big problems. And, and that unnecessarily put us into a recession. And to John's point, I like the 70s. We have a strong economy. The 70s was not a strong economy. It was a whole different ballgame.
1: We have a strong economy. The country does not want to go in recession, and we're in better shape than Europe is. I mean, Europe—look uh, what's happening. There, you know, somebody was talking. We had Nigel Farage on the other day from from Great Britain, and he says, "Well, the pound was the pound was almost ninety nine cents uh, last week. It, it, it rallied back up to a dollar twelve, and the euro is ninety six ninety seven cents." And you think we're in deep crap? They're in deeper crap. And From the Prime and, Minister and, and wait, resigned. I, the Prime Minister resigned this morning. And the one thing you guys don't know, I'm, I'm more in the oil business. China has yeah. agreed to refine more, uh, crude oil and ship it and ship it to Europe. You know, China is going to be Europe's savior. But you want to know the truth it? now? Whose oil is it? It is Russia's oil. Oh, so Russia is selling it to China. China is refining it, making the money, and shipping it to Europe. And you know what? They're buying That's it at a discount, news. probably
3: 40% for yeah, Russia. Well, China
1: has to make their big. Oh. They're making a lot you of You can't make it up. This but, is so scary.
3: But by the way, yeah, among the fair. three big economies, Europe, U.S., and China, I'm willing to bet China's in the worst shape. We just don't know it yet.
1: they got a collapsing Your, housing Ed market. markets your father-in-law opened up china so you know more about china than anybody in this room Xi has been killing private business by
3: taking it all to the to the, putting the communist party in control of business and that's not good for business
7: well yeah, it is a disaster in china yes yeah,
3: it is a right disaster
1: about. ryan yeah. ping thank you for briefing all the americans and and let's pray for america and listen we got uh, about 20 days left or no 17 18 days left to the election We better make a change in this country. We better have a balance of power. Otherwise, we're in deep crap.
7: I think we are. I think the winds are changing in the air, John. You can kind of sense it here on the ground floor. So I think you are going to see some changes. Thank you. uh, That'll be optimistic.
1: Thank you all. And um, we're going to go to Lou Dobbs now, but I won't be back uh, when uh, you come back. You're going to have the rest of the crew is going to be here. I'm going to go to see the Cardinal uh, uh, and uh, pray a lot for our country. (laughs) I'll, I'll sit next to the Cardinal and pray. Maybe that helps.
0: This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. We still got a great show for everyone tonight. We'll be speaking with Bert Flickinger about how shoppers are cutting back on basic groceries because food prices are surging, surging at uh, astronomical rates. We'll also be talking to Christine Nicholas about what's going on in Staten Island. There's a New York City's newest entertainment center. You don't want to miss that. And now we have on the line with us John McLaughlin. He's the polster of all pollsters. and John McLaughlin. I want to introduce everybody in the studio here so you know who you're talking to. Governor Patterson, Ed Cox, Judge Weinberg, and myself, Lydia Serrani. So tell us, what are the latest numbers regarding Zeldin? I know the polls, we're seeing one poll that just four points and then another 11. You know, a lot of people say, what do we believe?
8: Well, uh, uh, by the way, I don't know, you know. Uh, Ed, Ed runs a super PAC, so i got to be careful what I say in front of him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, not, not,
3: nothing, nothing that comes from the Zeldin campaign, please.
8: Right, right. So, But you've seen all these media polls where the Siena poll, sure, a couple of weeks ago they had us down 18, but they were skewed. They had two-thirds of the voters were over the age of 55. It should be less than half. And for some reason, you know, it's an outlier. They never ask about crime or whatever. All these other polls... Have the race very close, within the margin of error, Trafalgar. You've got, even as we were just about to speak, one was coming out today from... Survey, Survey USA. USA
3: came out within six percentage points. And that's where the Democratic uh, Doug Shawn came out, six percentage points.
8: Yeah, they, they appear to be hurting now because we've said all along that it was a close race. And that, you know, we're within the margin of error. et cetera. Trafalgar's had us down to Doug Schoen, a well-known Democratic pollster who polled for uh, Mayor Bloomberg, had us down six. Another poll had us down four. The Quinnipiac, I think, really, uh, you know, they, they showed us up 20 points with independence, which uh, seems to be a trend. And, uh, you know, it's a very close race, right? It's neck and neck. They're real clear politics moved it into toss-up. Uh, the crime issue has is just totally, you know, captured the passion of New York voters where, you know, people I mean, Lee held a press conference in Jackson Heights a couple of days ago where somebody got pushed and killed in front of a subway. And it goes on all the time. There's been, you know, scores of people have been hurt this year. And that's just one type of crime. And there's all these violent criminals being let go. Leticia James, the attorney general, who's sat by, done nothing about cashless bail and what's been going on on crime. You you, you know, John, she She says she wants to revisit cashless bail. John, I think there's something
3: more behind this, and that is that Governor Hochul is doing nothing about it. She didn't call a special session. Oh, (laughs) wait.
2: You know what happens when so, you touch the the, you, out of the mic, you, when, you, when you touch the desk? Well, I, I and, thought and it like,
4: came off as very dramatic. It sounded <laughs> like a T-Rex. She <laughs> <It laughs> is <laughs> just That's weak. A, I, I just looked out
5: the window, and I saw this Tyrannosaurus Rex. I've, I've served with Ed for, for
4: years. I always wanted to see him lose his temper. But, <laughs> John, I want to ask you a question about turnout. Uh, yes, sir, the polls ahead. can be what they are, but then the question is, are the groups that are being polled, uh, how are they turning out, and how would that affect the election?
8: Well, I might be a little pessimistic in my polls that I, we model it after a typical midterm election where the Democrats are 50% of the turnout and the Republicans and conservatives about 30, just like they were, in, uh, in 14 and close to 18. And, uh, you know, cause out of the 13 million registered voters in New York, about 6 million will come out and, uh, maybe a little over 6 million could be a little higher. But last year, we were doing this in uh, statewide with the props when the mayor's race was up, and uh, it came out according to our conservative party polls better than expected. And we certainly saw that Nassau, where Biden had won the county by ten points, and uh, Democrats outnumbered Republicans by eight points. But uh, you know, to elect Dan Donnelly, DA, and uh, Bruce Blakeman as county executive, they came out higher. And you don't see it till election day. So, so. You know, there may be a better Republican turnout, but we're only as, as John Katzavatidis said before we signed off, eighteen days from the election. So, in those eighteen days, a lot can happen, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the Governor Hochul is trying to keep her Democratic base, but a lot of common sense Democrats are going to Lee Zeldin right now, and uh, and governor, I think uh, John know,
2: McLaughlin uh, again, we're talking to John McLaughlin, a great pollster, and Judge Weinberg, you brought up an excellent point. Earlier today, forget the bail reform, forget the crime. You got Kathy Hochul. What, what piece of legislation did she just
5: sign? John, uh, within the last few months, she signed a bill. It's called the less is more bill. Right. And, and you know about that one? Because I don't know that most people have been talking about this, but it's a, a catastrophe. What it does is it gives a good time served to parolees. They get released early. They don't notify their Former victims of, of violent crimes, and then they become un unmonitored. So they're releasing people early who are dangerous. They're not monitored. They don't notify the the past victims. And so there's, no, there's a large po- number of sinners there. There's no parole officer. You report no. That's to the whole no point.
2: This is so. This why is, is she pro criminal? Why?
5: I think she just signed whatever the left wing Democrats and legislature gave her.
2: The legislature
3: is rolling right over. That's why I'm saying she's just weak.
2: And I've never heard of a billion dollar slush fund for a governor. I mean, this is egregious. What what she's doing? I feel like she's not even Cuomo 2.0 because at least he was he was slick about it. Right? He did it smarter. She's just very out in the open with her corruption. That's what it appears to me. I'm not going to put you on the spot, Governor Patterson. Ed Cox, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> actually,
3: this is part of the American. <laughs> recovery fund the 1.9 trillion that was handed up primarily to blue states because they have higher unemployment based on, on um, unemployment and it's one shots so you can't use it for the regular program so they gave a billion of it without debate in the legislature to her at the closing days of the and legislature no, and, no approval. She and, no, around, her and can,
5: no approval is necessary no approval for, yeah. no, can you imagine that john Having that much money, billions of dollars, no, no approvals necessary from anyone. She just spends the way she wants Her to. Her campaign is passing
3: out these little gifts to a lot of localities. That's Right. What she she's just
2: doing. gave uh, what, a bunch of money over to Long Island to repave their roads. Must what a, a coincidence. coincidence. <laughs> and then what? They're getting some checks, too,
5: right before the midterms. Correct. You know about that, John? 270 right before the election. Same thing she did right before the primary. Well, I didn't get any of it. So. No, no, no.
2: So she's not getting my vote because. So of John that. McLaughlin, you're usually right. We gotta go. We got Bert Flickinger on the line. Give us your uh, your prediction regarding Zeldin and the Hokel race. I know, I know, cool. you're the pollster for Zeldin. So try to be as new, you know. But you you're still very honest with your polling
8: what's going on right now is we've got to get some more Democrats, some more common sense Democrats to come to us, and they are flocking to us. But, Lee, even if a poll came out tomorrow saying we were ahead – He would keep running hard like he's behind. He's on a mission, and it's about saving our state, whether it's from corruption or crime or just, you know, six out of ten New Yorkers think the state's on the wrong track. We have to turn it around. We, The majority of voters need their lives to be better. So I can guarantee you in the next 18 days, Lee Zeldin is going to be running hard to get every vote he can, and he's gonna be running hard like he's behind, and, and that's what we're gonna do.
5: John, so, let uh, me ask you quickly, because it's very important, yes, because we want to not only save our city and state, but we want to save <laughs> our country. What's going on with the U.S. Senate races? Can the Republicans win this United States Senate?
8: Uh, Yes, the generic vote for Congress has gone from being tied 45-45 in our polls in August to being up four Republican in September. As of yesterday, it's up six, 49-43. That's a 94-like number. And uh, we have polls coming out today that Oz is slightly ahead and uh, Masters is within four points in uh, Arizona. But it looks like uh, we could get 51-52 votes and maybe Herschel will be in a runoff in Georgia and make it 53. So, uh, but it's 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 18 days to go. You have to run like you're behind. You know, this point out, everybody thought Mitt Romney was going to be president. So, John, as you
4: go, take this with you. Hochul mm-hmm. will win in New York.
0: Yeah.
8: Uh... I
5: hope, I hope not. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I love the you right. Governor Do bo- you know how to end
2: a party poorly. <laughs> well, that, okay, thank you so much, John McLaughlin. Of course, we'll get you back on real soon. Let's go to Bert Flickinger. Bert Flickinger, uh, when you go to the grocery store, I do the grocery shopping for my house, and I just can't believe what is going on. Just the the sky high prices. Can you give us a little bit more perspective on it? What's happening?
0: Lydia, you're so right. Uh, Sky high prices going higher. And when Rod Serling was in Studio One, he wasn't allowed to talk political, economic, and financial reality. So he created the Twilight Zone to tell the truth (laughs) in (laughs) the form of science fiction. And we're now in a Twilight Zone economy where poor and working people are being crushed by the high prices you referenced so well.
2: And the milk, I, I I went to get milk for my daughter. She loves drinking milk. She's five, I know, but she still drinks a lot of milk. And I'm seeing a lot of empty shelves. There's some production issues. What is going on? I mean, the pandemic is over. People are back at work. Why are we still seeing some empty shelves?
0: Lydia, you're seeing empty shelves because it's a brand manufacturer's crime. I was talking to one of the leading co-ops uh, for ind- independence and privately owned and family owned and operated chains like John's Great Chain, Gracies and Red Apple and uh, Walmart and Amazon and Costco and Target are, are getting all their merchandise at uh, net landed prices. And they're uh, canceling the trucks to the supermarket operators and what trucks they do ship. They're short shipping them, hence empty shelves and putting a hardship on you and your family and Americans across the country because they have to go to uh, a few to five stores, uh, just to get milk and, and eggs and and uh, uh, chicken, chicken and basics, where the prices are up anywhere from sixteen to twenty six percent versus prior year.
5: I understand, Bert, that there's also a whole issue about the still shortages of baby formula across the country. What do you know about that?
0: Still shortages of baby formula because uh, we're still getting uh, too too much of our baby formula ingredients um from uh people 's Republic of mainland China, and there's still reports of melamine in, in their baby formula. Uh, So the Federal Trade Commission has created an inadvertent oligopoly of baby formula manufacturers. So if you're in New Zealand and great English speaking country, you could get all the baby formula you want from eight different manufacturers here. You can't get what what you need uh, for the mothers and babies and infants uh, from only three major baby formula manufacturers, all of which have. I uh, insufficient number of manufacturing sites.
2: Bert Flickinger, I'm going to ask you for a prediction. If congestion tax goes through, notice I don't call it the pricing, the tax. What is it like 30 something dollars for every trucker to come into Midtown Manhattan? 26, 28. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's 23 for the average yes, per, but I, but I think what would that do to the cost of food and, and goods right here in New York City? What percentage do you think it'll go up? Because obviously the costs have to be made up somewhere.
0: Lydia, with congestion pricing, the U.N. saying our food prices over the last two years have increased 40 percent. With congestion pricing, they'll go up uh, between 44 to 50 percent. So it's like legendary blues man Arthur Collins, or, uh, Albert Collins said, born under a bad sign. Uh, every consumer is going to be bo- born under a bad sign created uh, by by the politicians uh, make, making making uh, out. Wrong turns at the wrong place at the wrong time in the famous Dr. John song. And it's it's just uh, uh twilight zone time where where we think it's a nightmare when actually it's political reality punishing all the people in this city, in this country.
2: I don't understand why the middle-class American keeps getting punished. We're seeing 72% of Americans are very concerned about food-related inflation. Can any of you recall a, a time in recent history where you were that you saw that kind of number of people worried about the cost of food? Anybody? You, you you know,
5: in the tale two sees, it said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You know what the problem is? This is the worst of times
0: it's definitely the worst of times judge weinberg uh to your fantastic comment and uh while it's the worst of times uh, they're they're going to get worse uh because as john says so well with common sense there's no political solution on energy or food uh or el- electricity uh or mortgage rates uh to get to give the poor and the working people and the seniors on fixed and limited income any kind of economic break Uh, So literally, literally, thank uh, you, Bert uh, Flickinger.
2: That music means we got to wrap because we got to get to our next guest. We're going to be talking about the Winter Lantern Festival. This is a great event that you don't want to miss that's going on at the FerryHawks Staten Island Stadium. Keep it right here. We're going to speak to Christine Nicholas. Cats at night.
0: It's cats at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Matidis Cats at Night Show. In studio with us is Judge Richard Weinberg, Ed Cox, uh, Governor Patterson. Before we get to our next guest on the line, I just want to remind our listening audience, please join us on October 26th at at 10 a.m. as we remember the life and legacy of our 77 WABC colleague, Bernie McGurk, with a special mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Everyone is invited. For more information, go to our website at wabcradio.com. If you plan on attending, please email Email us at rsvp at wabcradio.com. You know, in times of kind of sorrow that we're going through, it's always good to experience some laughter and some fun. So we're going to be talking to Christine Nicholas, and she's going to tell us about a journey to the East that's right here in New York City. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Christine.
9: Oh, it's very good to be with you, Lydia, and team. I mean, you got a great group in there in the studio, a lot of doom and gloom though, I gotta tell you, you listen to the show and, and you're like, oh my god. It's not out for, we're
5: just reporting, we're, no, it's not out for. Thank
9: god you're talking about it because the only way things are gonna turn around is if you, if you talk about it and, and you give solutions, which is what the show has been, uh, so thank you John Cassimetides uh, and, and your, uh, wonderful look, guests. Christine,
7: that you've had. Christine,
3: you were part of a turnaround under Mayor Giuliani, <laughs> yeah. weren't you?
9: Indeed, yeah. From what's 90- it take,
3: what's it take to do it?
9: Oh my goodness. Well, it has to take when people around finally say enough is enough. And in fact, he had a slogan, uh, you know, he got a, he got a huge um Hispanic vote. And there were posters, ya basta, right? So it was like Alcalde Giuliani ya basta, meaning like enough. And I think that's where people are headed. Enough is enough. It just seems like these uh, crazy policies, things that are setting back not only the country, but also our city right here. And I think everybody's starting to wake up, and that's what you're going to see. But um, I have a glimmer of light for you tonight. So I want you to put your troubles aside <laughs> and get on the Staten Island ferry, which is free, by the way. Thank you to Guy Molinari and Rudy Giuliani. You can still ride. And Peter Vallone. Coast. And Peter Vallone. And Peter Vallone, of course. And uh, when we had sensible government. Um, but it's still free. Thank you. And Um, Okay, so you get over to the Staten Island Ferry, and you just make a quick right, and you go past the brand-new Empire Outlets, which is an amazing outlet mall right there on the waterfront. You're going to pass that, and you're going to go to the Staten Island University Hospital Community Park, which is the ballpark where the Ferry Hawks play, which, John Cosimitidis, thank you for bringing that back, um, and Eric Schuffer, it's just been fantastic. So you've got this baseball stadium, but obviously only the Yankees are playing now, luckily. We're all happy about that. Go Yankees. Um, But normally there's baseball there during the baseball season, minor league. But now they've transformed it into this beautiful Winter Lantern Festival. And it all opens up tomorrow, Friday, October 21st, is going to be the grand opening. And these are just going to be these fabulous Pieces of artwork that are illuminated, and you can walk through them. And it's a story about some amazing um, mythical characters, the Monkey King. Um, there's these lantern displays and animal kingdom, uh, animal kingdoms, and the sea world, and these illuminated tunnels. And look, I have teenage kids at home, and all they care about right now is the TikToks and the Instagrams and getting that beautiful picture. If you have teenage kids, bring them to Staten Island and you can just take amazing photos and post it if you got little kids these lanterns are bigger than the kids so they're going to just be immersed in it it really is a fabulous Uh, introduction, you know, the, this has been actually in Staten Island, in Staten Island for three years. This is the fourth year. They started in Staten Island, this group that brought these over, these lanterns. Uh, but it was over at Snug Harbor. They're bringing it over to the river, uh, to the harbor now, right, so that it's much easier to get to, so you'll be able to see it right from the Staten Island ferry. and it's just a fabulous way of celebrating the holidays. I know it's early, but um, why not start early? So um, October 21st, it starts. Um, and it's over at 75 Richmond Terrace in Staten Island, just steps from Empire Outlets in the Staten Island Ferry. So uh, opening, opening ceremony tomorrow is 4.30 to 5. So I hope that you guys can join us.
2: And you can get more information if you go to winterlanternfestival.com. That's winterlanternfestival.com. And the prices are also super reasonable. It's twenty eight ninety nine for general admission. For kids, it's eighteen dollars. So this seems like a great thing because the bottom line is we need a year-round entertainment center, and that's what John wanted to do with yeah. the Ferry Hawk Stadium, the Staten Island University Hospital Community Park. He didn't want it to just be a baseball stadium. He wanted it something that everybody, all New York City residents could enjoy all year rounds. And looking at the pictures of the it's gonna be in the post, actually, there's going to be this beautiful full colored page in the post, you see just how gorgeous this uh, immersive wonderland of light Chinese Lantern Festival display is going to be.
9: Right. And if you go online, uh, Winter Lantern Festival, there are videos of it from last year. So you can get a better understanding of how big these things are. And, you know, it's it's great that it's starting in Staten Island. But there's it's also going to be at the Queen's Farm Museum uh, later in the month after um after Halloween, and you can also drive through in Nassau County. It's a drive through adventure at the Nassau County Museum of Art in Roslyn. Uh, and then in Suffolk County, they have, and this is brand new this year, Suffolk Winter Lantern Festival at Smithtown Historical Society. So they now have four in the New York area giving us more of an option to, and, you know, do these things. And by the way, they're all outdoors. So, you know, it's healthy. It's great to be outside. It's uh, you know, family friendly. Um, you could bring a date due, you know, however you want. It's a g- great way to meet people. But uh, Winter Lantern Festival, it's it's just going to be fabulous. And I'm excited for tomorrow. We've got great weather for it, too. So I hope you guys all, you know, join us.
2: And you won't have to wear a mask because it's outdoors. So you right. can feel healthy. Breathe in that fresh air right right off the, the water. What do you think, uh, Judge Weinberg? I think it's a great idea. And I think uh, Christine
5: is doing a great job on this uh, this project, but John has really turned this around. People said, "Well, it's a it's a baseball stadium. It's not just a baseball stadium. It's the newest entertainment center for the entire city, mm-hmm. and people from all over the city and all over the country can go to this, and there's going to be concerts and other programs there." This is the beginning of something really exciting on Staten Island,
2: and it's reasonably priced. I mean, you can't even go to the you can't you'll spend more going to the movies, being stuffed in the theater there Ed Cox. You'll you'll be heading out there, Staten Island. I know you're a number. I free, love the
9: idea. Right.
3: from the ferry. I mean, water <laughs> yeah. combined with the light and the whole thing. Yes. Yep.
9: yep. And Ed Cox, you know, you've done a lot of um, I know you guys were talking about China earlier, but you know China uh, and this is like a you Yeah. Latin you know, festivals. I was going to say thing, that it is like right?
2: the Chinese festival of light. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, they lost our music because you see our, our crusader, our caped crusader has left the studio. John oh, Katzmatidis yeah. because he went to the Albie Smith dinner and now this uh-huh. the, the board, they can't Find the well, the, then, the Superman so, music. But, so, oh, they found it! They just found the music. <laughs> All right. So, Christine, you got to stay on the line with us <laughs> because what do we stand for, everybody? Truth, justice, justice and the American way. way. On behalf of John Katz, Matidi's the Cats at Night Show. God bless New York. God bless New York City. God bless America.
9: I love it. I Thank love you. It. <laughs> Only in New York. Only in America. I love it. You guys are awesome.
0: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.